We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Hello and welcome back. This is the pre-season Arsenal Vision podcast. It's been a good pre-season so far. Um, lots of clean sheet, lots of goals, lots of skill, lots of squad members. It's all and no injuries. The most important part of it all. Um, we look really good so far. Yes, you can't jump to conclusions this early because it's just pre-season. They're just friendlies, but um, the cohesion of the whole entire squad, it seems, well mostly it looks really good uh, we look sharp we look fit we look hungry all very important ingredient for the um upcoming season i would even go as far as to say that the game on sunday is an important game yet it's a friendly doesn't mean anything really in terms of the silverware because it's not really silverware is it but beating chelsea beating Jose Mourinho, starting the season in good confidence i think it's quite important the team has done really well this pre-season and um, haven't lost a game. I think that's quite important starting the season. You don't want to lose to Chelsea and then start again on a confident front. Maybe not start again. But, you know, you want everything to be positive, And it has been. So it'd be good to get a result against Jose Mourinho and Chelsea before the season starts. But if we don't win it, it's not the end of the world. But you'd rather beat them, really. Especially... I really detest Mourinho and Chelsea. I just... Yeah... We'll get into all of that. I'm going to hand you over to the guys now who talk about the, the, the matches in preseason so far, what we might do in the window, and so on and so forth. And Jeff, obviously, we've got to talk about Jeff. I'll let them do that, though. You take it easy, enjoy the podcast, and we will be back again after the Chelsea match. 
Arsenal reign Adelaide at the Emirates in the Emirates Cup, winning another trophy in the preseason. Will the treble be on? We'll find out soon with the, uh, what's that thing? Charity Shield coming up. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast coming to you after a match or two matches even. So that's a good thing. We will, of course, dive into transfer rumors, transfer speculation, and lament James being incorrect about Benzema, at least with respect to the uh, time frame in which he said he would arrive. I suppose the rumor is still on, and we'll get to all that. But first, we're going to talk actual football. We're going to do it with our two guests. The first I alluded to already. His name is James. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Here he is, James. James? Hello, James. Hi, Elliot. How are you doing? I'm very well. Have you noticed how excellent I sound? You sound fantastic. I've never heard such a euphonious tone to your voice. Euphonious, mellifluous, you name it. It sums me up. I've got a new microphone. I'm really excited about it. I ditched the head-worn and went for something fancy that looks like what professional podcasters use. I assure you it will have no bearing on how I actually perform on the podcast. The other man joining us, a man who lives and dies by Theo Walcott's every stroke of a pen. His name is Paul. You can follow him on Twitter at Posnin in my pants. Hello, Paul. Hell yeah. Hello. Is that your new thing? You're not going to do woohoos anymore? You're on hell yeah this season? Well, you, you, you distracted me with the Walcott thing. It's hell preseason. Yeah. You know what? We'll get, in a, we'll get in a season for him along with the squad. So we're going to talk Emirates Cup, uh, and then we'll get into the speculation about uh, who's going to come and go and so on and so forth. Uh, it started off pretty entertainingly uh, as we poured the goals in on Lyon, and, and a Lyon team that I think could have put up some stiffer resistance. You can only beat who's in front of you, and as far as preseason goes, I thought it was pretty encouraging. Um, followed that up with a slightly less exhilarating win over Wolfsburg. But I thought the interesting thing about the two days is it really showed the depth of the squad because the manager was just about able to pick two different 11s, just about, and not really look particularly weak anywhere on the pitch. So let's really quickly break it down game by game. Uh, James, for you, first game against Lyon, who stood out as impressing you? uh, And what were your takeaways from the game in general in terms of anything that might be significant going into the season? Um, I mean, it was a highly entertaining performance. I think there were several individuals that impressed highly. Obviously, it was a, mm-hmm. a big occasion for that of Alex Iwobi, who um, obviously managed to net his first uncompetitive or just non-competitive goal for Arsenal Football Club, which was fantastic to see. And you know, he looked like a very efficient and exciting player. Um, but I think the two players that, that really stood out throughout the match were um, were Mesut and, and Aaron Ramsey that really bossed that midfield, and especially during that sort of 10-minute window where we um, scored those first four goals. I think it was between the 28th and 38th minute. Um, Leon were just un- un- unable to keep up with the um, with the sort of Ramsey uh, hmm. combination that um, we've seen. I think even more so perhaps in, in the 13-14 season, um, especially when Ramsey had a, a larger run out in that central midfield position that he um, he clearly prefers. And so, I mean, the chemistry that the two of them managed to um, find so early on during the preseason is extremely exciting to see and it is highly promising going into the um, going into the season. I think the, the combination for a couple of goals was fantastic. Um, especially, obviously, for that Ramsey goal, the, the pass from Ozil was exquisite. But I think, you know, all around, especially after a six-nil victory, it was it was really difficult to find anyone that um, performed poorly. And and frankly, it was just it was extremely solid from back to front, and it was a slightly interesting um, choice in the back four that we've seen with uh, Murdashelny and then Debussy and Gibbs, which is maybe something we'll come to. But yeah, I mean, extremely promising and uh, 
um, albeit preseason. You know, don't want to get too excited, but um, the signs are clearly there. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. I mean, with preseason, you can always jump to conclusions too much, and I think it's interesting when you know we put six past Lyon. Everyone says we already look like we could win a title, and then when United beat Barcelona, you hear everybody lining up to tell you it's just preseason. So. Maybe a little bit of bias there, but it was certainly a very entertaining and enjoyable match. What about for you, Paul? Anything you took away from the first match as being more than just an entertaining preseason performance that, that might have some relevance for what we'll see this season? Yeah, I think it had plenty of relevance. I mean, pretty much all the games have been two teams coming out to play and a high line. Uh, you know, even taking the Everton game was an entertaining game. The, the Lyon game. The uh, Wolfsburg game was maybe entertaining. As, uh, I mean, it was, it was an interesting game. Entertaining might be the wrong word until we started scoring a goal or so. Um, but they were both, you know, they were all games where the other side came to play and played a high line. Uh, really, it was only Wolfsburg, and we'll get onto that, who really kind of got enough pressure against us. I don't know if the other two teams... Uh, Leon in particular, maybe we caught them a couple of weeks into their uh, season a little too early where our energy levels were and our fitness were so much higher than theirs. But, I mean, we ran rings about random. It was, it was wonderful. You know, it was a great occasion for, for whatever you say about, uh, for about preseason. You know, it, it shouldn't distract us enjoying the snot out of our team playing out of the performances, out of the lead-in. And you can... Uh, what's really st- stood out for me, and you see it in the Leon game, and you, you touched on it, we were able to put out, over these couple of games, two complete sides and swapping them at half-time. And the depth is just incredible. Now, we could talk about one or two places where you could have a debate on it. We will. Uh, <laughs> and we will. But we have no shortage of players, and they're all top level or thereabout the question we we know what the two questions there were maybe three questions going into the season but we got checked now so we know what those two questions might be but man the array of talents we have all over the place um you know oxlade chamberlain started that game he was sensational absolutely sensational against Lyon, and continued that when he got his chance to shine uh, against Wolfsburg, and we, I think we I think he played against Everton, but certainly uh, in the lead-in. I mean, he's looked great. And that goal he scored um, against uh, Lyon was absolutely superb. From the edge of our box, playing it, I think it was, uh can't even remember who laid it on. It might have been uh, Giroud who laid on the assist for him. But anyway, just amazing. It was Giroud. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, great touch from Chamberlain. Perfect touch first time. And what an absolutely superb finish. The the confidence that guy we we all we've all talked about Oxlade Chamberlain. I think there's unanimity across Goonerdom that superb talent, superb in every aspect, just needs end product. And I think we you know, we might look back on that goal as the beginning of him uh showing up and stamping his mark on the season. So Do you worry at all about Um, about him giving the ball away? I mean, the one thing that he does still have in his game is, you know, in transition and and certainly further back in the pitch, you don't want a player giving the ball away cheaply there because you can start that counterattack, especially if we're trying to press or or everybody's racing up the pitch to counterattack. Is that something that might lead Wenger to be more reluctant to use him until he can get that out of his game, you think? 
Well, it's something that would lead Elliot to be more reluctant to use him. Okay. You've got to let Monica go. <laughs> well, but no, no I, but I mean, he, I mean, did, he did yeah, it a couple times o- over the weekend as yeah. well. I mean, he, it's in his game. Yeah, I know he did. To kind of, he's great on the ball and he likes to, to, to dribble. He trusts himself on the ball and, and usually he can beat his man. But we do see him sometimes be a little sloppy with, with short passes in the midfield. Uh, and here's, I think, the issue with him. He's a brilliant dribbler. You know, I spent uh, a day looking at him and uh, what do you call him, Hazard uh, and uh, Sterling uh, and highlights, clips and bits and pieces um, because I was, I was trying to drill down into what their similarities were. And what I came away with it uh, on is all three are brilliant dribblers, but Chamberlain pushes the ball quite far ahead of himself. He doesn't keep it under his feet like the other two, and that gets him into trouble in the midfield because his first push is often a big push. I think that's why he goes wide so often because it suits his dribbling style and because, you know, now he can cut in field from from wide, but I think that gives him a lot of trouble in midfield because unless the ball's right under your feet like it is with Santi, you're going to get yourself in trouble dribbling with with a big touch. It might not always be his first touch, but his first, second, or third touch is often quite a big touch. And when he gets that wrong, man, oh, man. Yeah. Well, let's do this because I want to get into individual position battles in a minute because I think there are a couple really interesting battles for wide positions, for deepest-lying midfield position, for the fullbacks, um, and, and potentially maybe even at center back. But real quick, let's get to the second game. James, anything that stood out to you in the second game? We got to see virtually a new 11. Um, we we did see Theo Walcott play up front, although he moved around the front line at all. How did you see Theo's performance versus Giroud at center forward? I know they were very different games, and he had very different uh, players around him, but was was that really the thing you were most focused on watching in the Wolfsburg game? Well, well, there was something, or should I say someone, that mostly caught my eye. No, 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 no. We're going to do <laughs> the young talent later. We, we will get to Jeff, I assure you. But rather than feed into the absurd hype, and I will have a go at that topic, I assure you. But Choo-choo! But, yeah, before we get to Jeff, or Jeff Jeffabi, can we call him Abu Jeff? Uh, Jeff Diaby? Uh, anyway, um, we'll explain that in a minute. But what stood out to you for the second game other than than the Jeff? Well, I mean, so first of all, with regards to the Walcott-Giroud situation, I think it's something that we've discussed quite a lot of in the past, and it was very much um, on show during that game in that what Walcott provides is he's an extremely effective striker. He's obviously a striker that poses... Well, when, when playing as a forward, poses a significant amount of danger for that of the opposition, and especially in the runs that he makes in behind, not only directly but also creating space for um, those around him. And you know, he is, I think, someone that's actually somewhat underrated amongst Arsenal fans to a certain degree in his in his finishing, because I think his finishing is something that's improved quite dramatically over the last couple of years, and perhaps something that we didn't give him quite enough credit for on the back of just coming back from that long-term injury. Um, that being said, although he's certainly not a one-dimensional player, um, there are clear strengths that he has to his game. Um, but with that, distinct weaknesses in that obviously, obviously he's not the type of striker that's able to um, hold up the ball and, and bring others into play in the same way that Giroud does, mm-hmm. um, which I think does somewhat hinder us 
um, given the the type of formation that we impose in certain in certain situations in very like solid stable defensive sides that we come up against um, in the lack of diversity that we have given the, the the type of forwards that we have in that front three all tend to be quite tricky quite dribbly quite quick players um, and Giroud somewhat um, creates that balance amongst the three um, the difference that someone like a Walcott has to say. I don't know, like your your Neymar's, your your Suarez is obviously on a different level. Is that um, he doesn't quite make up for his lack of height, in my opinion, in that he's not quite as strong at dropping in deep um, and being able to sort of take on players and and affect play in that type of manner. But uh, but the effectiveness that he brings in the types of runs that he makes and in his finishing is absolutely second to none, and is is high, is as a massive danger. And that's an interesting. Um, diversity that I have between those two types of strikers. I do fear that it, it might almost be, to a certain degree, almost too dramatic a change between the two. I think it's great from an impact point of view, and I think uh, mixing and matching, given the types of opposition, is um, going to give us fantastic options going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, I think that was highly exciting. I think it's great to see that Walker seems to be coming back into his full form, given that it definitely did take him a uh, significant amount of time following that long-term injury. Um, the other things that were of interest, I mean, it's great to see Czech, but the entire, as you mentioned, just ha- having made 10 whole changes, we looked aside that still had that sort of level of, quote-unquote, cohesion, um, still played a very similar type of game to that of the other team. And I think it was really... It, it really does show just how deep this squad is. We really haven't had a, a squad anywhere near, near as deep as this for for so many years. And even during our most successful periods, I think the Invincibles team, for example, you know, was actually quite relatively quite a small squad. And I think that can only give us um, great confidence going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at that defence, it was a completely new back line. Yet, you know, to me, Bellerin, Monreal are coming in for Debushi. Um, and Gibbs really, uh, you know, it, I, I'd even argue, especially off the back of last season, that they might be the the slightly better pairing. And then Chambers and Gabriel, both two players um, with a seemingly immense talent, certainly, um, you know, Chambers more potential to fulfil in Gabriel, I think, especially given the types of uh, comments Wenger continues to make about him, is, you know, uh, you know, they're nearly on par, if, if you know, arguably they're aside from his sort of lack of communication abilities um, with that of Mertzeker and Koscielny. So that's, you know, extremely promising, something that we, you know, do the complete opposite to what um, we were discussing going into last season and something that really hampered us, given how Mertzeker was thrown into the mix then. Um, and, you know, it's great to see Arteta back. That was the first time he'd been in playing. He played at the Emirates for, um, I think it was something like eight months, and albeit a non-competitive match. So... That was fantastic, and he's still a player that I I do rate quite highly. So yeah, I think I think that you know that was really the key takeaway. And obviously, as we all come to a couple of exciting youngsters, and we will I, come to that. <laughs> I assure you, uh, Paul, you have a man crush on Theo. What did you make of his performance through the middle? Does he have anything to prove, or do we already know what he is as a quantity in that position? And anything else you took away from the Wolfsburg game? Um, I think he's done great. I think he has loads to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the tea leaves are there for those who want to read them. Um, these games all suited Theo. They were the high line kind of game. Uh, people tend to dismiss him in other circumstances. I think what I thought was interesting was that he started 
or and played from the left uh, to some degree in a couple of the games. Um, and I do wonder if the manager wasn't trying him out there to see who was going to be the best cover for Alexis, Alexis mm-hmm. in the short term and maybe throughout the season. He still, you know, he needs, he's got too many players, too many good players who need time. And, uh, you know, you look across the field and maybe we overplayed Alexis last season and maybe we'll be overplaying him even more this season if we run him to the same level. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I think Giroud and Theo are uh, a good combination, both Mm -hmm. when they're on the field at the same time and as subs for each other. I think we've seen Giroud come on at the end of a game and be very effective. Um, both when we need to attack and even from a, obviously from a defensive point of view, he brings us some uh, aerial capabilities. So, you know, at some stage we'll talk about our transfer rumours, but if nothing happened in the striker area, um, we'd have a lot to say about that. But one thing I would say is uh, we've been in worse situations than having Giro and Walcott as two strikers who can be used with uh, Walcott front, across the front area so and Danny Welbeck coming back. Um, so I really love what Theo did. He's got to prove, to me, I think he can do a lot better against uh, a set defense lying deep than a lot of other people seem to think he can. I think he's an interesting option with Sanchez on the field. Um, but, of course, Giroud's, his game is actually suited to that, so... But he's not as big a zero as I think some people seem to think he is. He's very good at getting him behind. You can still make runs. And the interchange with him and Sanchez, who is more of the kind of Suarez bully in the box, uh, those two could be a very imp- – the, the big problem with the set defense is trying to get their defenders to move around. And it's not always a question that Giroud can bump and bash into them adequately enough. And that our inter- our passing has can be fast enough. I mean, we've seen times where we're frustrated because we've had all the playmakers banging, pinging it around and banging it off Giro, and we still can't get through. What you need to do is move those bastards around, and that's one of the things Theo can bring you if people put in the balls through, around, behind, etc., to get him going. So him and Sanchez can be an interesting partnership against the set defense. That's what I think he needs to prove. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the one thing that Theo does give us, and, and we don't get this with Giroud, is just the versatility of being able to move our strikers yeah. around the pitch, our forward, our forwards around the pitch. Alexis can come centrally and Theo can move out to the wing or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Uh, that vice versa doesn't make any sense because that is vice versa. But the, the moral <laughs> of the story is that when you have Giroud on the pitch, he has to play through the middle as the center forward. He, he doesn't have that same versatility. We saw it in the FA Cup final that Theo actually scored his goal when he had switched out to playing on the wing and he scored his goal against Wolfsburg that way as well. So there is a little more flexibility. And Sanchez scored his goal in the FA Cup with with Theo moving out to the right wing, Mm -hmm. Ramsey moving into the center forward position and Sanchez from the middle splitting off to the left. So... Right, so it's that versatility. You get more mobility with Theo, but you have to. You know, for here's the thing I always think about. Yeah, people who say he's kind of one dimension or whatever. Obviously, that's not right. I don't know how dimensions, how many dimensions a player has. It's n. He might be n minus three, but he then has to be so put so much more energy into those areas and be so much better. Well, guess what? He is. He's really good at the shit. He's really good at that. 
He's going to do a lot more of it. He's going to pull defenders. He's going to pull centre backs. He's going to move people around because he has to. So yeah. I think that's what we see. And like you say, that gets he has to rotate in the front three, and he does. So I think the notion that you have to have a physically imposing centre forward to play in the Premier League or win the Premier League is not correct. I think if you look at the player that's been most important to Manchester City, it's Kun Aguero when he's actually fit. If you look at the player that has been most important you know, to, to us down the years. I mean, I don't know that you would say any of them were physically imposing center forwards, whether it was Thierry Henry or Robin Van Persie or more recently Alexis Sanchez. So I, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, and, and, I, and I was actually, actually going to say under RVP for United over the last few years, maybe, yeah. maybe not last year, but the two years before that, you know, he's not physically imposing. Um, he, he, they might all like a bit more of a tussle than Theo does, mm-hmm. but again, he, he turns a negative into a strength. He's, he's going to run places. He's going to run his legs off. He's going to run diagonals that the others won't. So that's what he needs to prove that his strengths can can uh, counterbalance his weaknesses, and that he can pull in Sanchez and pull in whoever we have on the right wing, and that they can rotate and between the three of them move people around. Because the first, how many times have we seen Giroud up front and 70 minutes into a game against Sunderland or Stoke, we're pulling our hair out because, right. you know, we got 10, basically nine playmakers pinging it into Giroud and out and we still haven't broken them down. So for, for all the people who say it doesn't suit Theo's game, I'd argue, well, whose game does it suit? Isn't that the whole point of sitting deep? is to stop everybody playing. So when people get frustrated with Theo that it, you know, he's not as good against the set defense, who the hell is? Giroud isn't. No, I mean, it if might you look at the game. the game where Giroud was probably most easily held at bay, it was against Chelsea. We had two big physical yeah. center backs who, who just had no trouble with him at all in Cahill and Terry. Um, let's move off yep. of that for a minute. And I do want to emphasize that we are in full preseason form here. I am trying out a new microphone headset set up and no idea if the gain is upright or the volume is wrong or the echo is right or the the flux capacitor is capaciting i I don't know any of that so um this this is going to be a grin and barrett podcast and hopefully by the time we get to the charity shield this coming weekend we will be able to um work out all the kinks on the pitch and in the podcasting studio so uh james one of the things that obviously preseason gives us a chance to do is see some young players i want to get your your thoughts on three in particular awobi Akpom and of course Jeffrey and Adelaide and then also maybe your feeling of what it means that players like Crowley and Zalalem who who a lot of people expect a lot from are not getting um did not get a chance in the Emirates Cup so first things first the ones who played Awobi, Akpom, Rain Adelaide what's your takeaway from those three um I mean let me first you know be clear and preface any comments I do make by saying First of all, it is very much a pre-season uncompetitive game, so we don't want to draw too many conclusions. And obviously there has been a significant amount of discussion surrounding one player in particular after um, the sort of one-and-a-half performances from the weekend. Um, but that being said, Iwobi was a player I hadn't heard much of um, going into um, into the sort of pre-season tour as a whole. But as Wenger referred to him, he... I think he actually has, he seemingly had quite a lot of similarities with that of Danny Welbeck in that he's quite a quick physical player who is able to play out wide. I think has played a more central um, role for that of the under twenty ones, um, and you know he, he 
he showed a good instinctive finish from the uh, Ramsey pass for that third goal and I think had a second goal disallowed in the Lyon game um, which was promising and actually throughout what was interesting to see throughout the game was and this is where the biggest similarity to draw from that of Danny is it was his consistent um, harrying and harassing of players from the front and um, the kind of pressing um, components that he was able to bring to um, you know the, the kind of defending from um, from the front that we we seem to have imposed in our um, tactical strategies over certainly over the last season. Um, so that was promising. Um, the main the main youngster that everyone's talking about, of course, is is Mr. Jeff. The uh, similarities between Pogba, Vieira, and um, the recently Diaby. lost Diaby are, are <laughs> currently rife amongst. Uh, Many fans and critics and pundits alike. Quick question for you. Just cut yes. to the chase. Do you think he can be as good as J. Emmanuel Thomas? Ooh. It's a tough player to live up to. I Listen, I, he, he may not quite make the jet um, level of, of quality, but I do think Cristiano Ronaldo is not too far off his sights. Is he going uh, to play this season? I mean, honestly, will we see him play for the first team at all this season? Yeah, we'll see him in the cup. You think yeah. in the Capital One Cup? Yeah, we we won't see him in competitive in other competitive games. He's he's still very young. I mean, and also he'll be competing in a position in which we're already incredibly stacked. Whereby I struggle to even see how many, especially if we're looking to get in another striker, if that does come to fruition, where the current players in in our squad are already struggling enough as it is to get minutes. If you know, lest we forget that. I still think there's a high chance of Ramsey starting the season out on the right if we're trying to fit in Kazola, Ozil and Coquelin into that mid middle. Um, Wilshere seemingly is now a, a quote-unquote wide player um, out on the right. So I, you know, I, for a player of that age and lack of experience, there's, there's no reason to thrust him into first-team action in, in those positions. And mm-hmm. even Danny Welbeck hasn't had any minutes. And, you know, Of course, Alexis Sanchez is still um, uh, on his holidays. So I... I, I, I so I can't really see any scenario unless, and it, you know, <laughs> there's also Gnabry. I don't know what's happened to him at this stage, but um, is he? I mean, is he fit? Is he part of the squad? Is is this a player who is sort of veering into Diaby land? I mean, he he missed all of last season with injury. Do we know what his status is? Well, I certainly hope it's not Diaby land, but uh, I think he's, he's training. He's training now. He's, he very recently came back, and I, he's I, in the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's. He was in that video actually today of the the, the members training where Adelaide played that ball, and I think it was Gnabry that was the one on the end of it. Does the um, fact that he missed all of last season sort of set him back now to be in that class of more of a uh, a Wobi Akpom Adelaide Zelaya, where where he's much more on the outside looking in, or does he step right back into being sort of the, the first young player up next? No, I think most definitely. I think he's 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 right on that level. He's going to have to prove um, to the manager that he's he, he you know at his age and um, given the the talent that he has that he has the ability to to push on. And I think it's going to be as I for the aforementioned reasons. I think that's going to be particularly difficult this season. I forgot to um, mention Isaac Hayden. By the way, I, I thought he looked really assured in midfield. Was was that sort of a surprise for you the way he was played and 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 the performance he delivered? Um, yeah, I mean, I. We've known him mostly as a centre back. I think he has been um, played maybe even in the Capital One Cup last season in that role. I don't follow the under twenty ones that closely, so I'm not sure if that's something that um, he's been encouraged to 
um, sort of players trade in most recently but yeah he, he seemed competent again it was the, for that kind of position it was a little tough for us to truly assess because I don't think he, you know, he he wasn't tested all that much and he was given somewhat limited minutes but I was surprised by his um, by the kind of passing ability that he dis- that he displayed for someone that had just come from you know for a young player that um, previously um, be, played a more sort of centre-back role um, again, promising maybe you know third, fourth choice defensive midfield. But you know, I, I think again that's a position that, despite what everyone seems to suggest, we're we're fairly well um, stacked in. And unless we can find a player that's of, of greater quality than Kaka, and I'm not convinced is is a particularly pressing need. Um, very briefly, summing up the other players because there's still a few. I, I thought Akpom, he's clearly talented, but I, I, he seemed a little, almost a little desperate in the two cameos. That, um, I thought yeah, he was really poor. I, I uh, hate to say it. I mean, he. Well, I don't know if he was extremely poor because if you look, um, was it the was it the Wolfsburg goal? Was he on? I, I I seem to remember like the you know the various runs he made seemed to open up space for other players, but I think most of the time he was on the ball. He looked extremely rushed. Um, the the def- biggest contribution he made was to absolutely ruin a four-on-one counterattack where <laughs> I do remember he, that, yeah. he, it would have been harder to find a defender than his own teammates. He just seems to have his head down when he's dribbling and when he's on the ball. His move is, you know, put his head down, kick, it, kick the ball and chase it and, and use his speed and his power to get past defenders, which, don't get me wrong, that's a great uh, uh, quality to have in your game, but... It, from a technical standpoint, and I thought this was even true out in Asia as well, he, he just didn't seem to possess the technical skill you'd need to crack into our front line. And, I mean, the problem for a player like him, as opposed to a young player you know, like Coughlin playing in defensive midfield, he's trying to get into the squad in a position where there's a lot of big, big, talented players ahead of him. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think alone this season would do him the world of good, hopefully. Um, but I, I don't see him um, playing much of a part at all. So let me ask season. you this real quick. Of those players, which ones do you think stay with the club and continue their training, and which do you think will be sent out? Uh, I think Jeff definitely stays, especially given what Arsen said. Mm-hmm. Clearly ex- seems extremely talented, but still very young. Arsen wants him to train with the first team and, and, and builds build his skills through that process. I would imagine Iwobi might stay just because of the versatility he provides and he seemed the, the, mo- the more accomplished of him and Akpom. I think Akpom will go out on loan. I could definitely see Crowley and Zelalem going out on loan mostly because of just, again, how congested um, those positions are in, in the current first-team setup. Um, and the, they seem to be players that are now a little... Well, Crowley certainly a little ahead of the under-21, um, that level and thus need some Premier League or perhaps Championship um, experience under their belts and you know start playing a lot of first-team football before they can really make a push on and, and try and compete for positions within our first team. Once upon uh, a time, you know, we'd use the Capital One Cup to, to blood young players and give them first-team experience, but you're looking at a team this season where players like Gabriel, Chambers, Debushi, or, or Bellerin, depending how you see that position, Gibbs, um, uh, Jack Wilshire, Danny Welbeck, Oxlade Chamberlain. These are all the kinds of players that may be trying to get a place on the pitch. Arteta, Rositsky. I mean, it's going to be very hard to justify using youth players in the Capital One Cup when you have experienced 
first team players who aren't playing week in week out. So I, I think it makes it all the more important that you find a place for those young players now. One hundred percent. I mean, we may see a similar lineup to that of say Wolfsburg, where you have one player like Jeff starting, and then your your secondary players in each position getting game time. And I think you know, maybe for once we might have a decent cracker. Um, the Capital One Cups will be important to make sure players that are still playing integral role um, in the first team squad are getting enough minutes under their um, belt and um, are in a competitive mind frame when they're called upon throughout the season. Yeah, it it, it really was. The thing that I took took away from the Emirates Cup more than anything else was just the level of depth we have. I'm not necessarily saying that we have the team to win the title of the first 11, but we really can put two 11s on the pitch that could potentially finish in the top four in the Premier League, either one of the two. Um, just to put a bow on the package that is our discussion of uh, youth players, that was a really disturbing way of putting that. Um, Paul, Indeed. anyone that you saw this weekend or this past weekend that you think has a chance to contribute this season? Is it just a case of it was nice to see them now, forget about them for a while and hope in two or three seasons one of these guys comes good? No, I think your analyses were all good. I thought you were, you were teensy bit harsh on Akpom. Uh, he did a few good things, including that uh, decoy run himself, and and uh, and uh, Walcott did did a uh, complimentary complimentary diversionary runs for uh, Walcott's goal against Wolfsburg, mm-hmm. um, which absolutely opened up the centre backs. Um, he hit the post against, I think it was in the Lyon game, um, after uh, Jeff gave what should have been the first of three assists over the two games. The, the second assist, you're wondering where that came, might have come from, um, uh, was for the goal. And the third one was for the goal he almost scored that looked just like it. Uh, in the in the Wolfsburg game, Jeff's repeat of his first trick through to Walcott, but I mean he had he he carved them open for Akpom who banged it off the post. I think you know he beat a lot of people. He looked good as an attacking player. I think he looked good, uh, looked skillful, looked talented, but he suffered from all of the issues you guys talked about when it actually related to actually passing the ball with the rest of the team, and that's why he needs to go out on loan, because uh, from Arsene's comments, he rates Iwobi very... He, he almost contrasts the two of them every time he talks about the two of them. I know they played together, but you can read his his comments about either one of them as been a re, the inverse reflection of the others, and he talked about Iwobi kind of integrating with the team and looking around and being part of the team. And the implication was maybe ACPOM hadn't been, and that's what we all saw. Yeah, So I think I, that's a fair, yeah. I, so I was just going to say, I think one of the things that can happen sometimes too is when you dominate at the youth level, and ACPOM has been excellent there, kind of like a J. Emmanuel Thomas did, there can be a tendency to get you know, a, a big ego about your, your skill because you're so... Uh, demonstrably superior to the people you're playing with. And sometimes that can lead you to be sort of a soloist or go it on your own. And then you get into a squad filled with very talented people and playing against some very talented people. And you need to be able to integrate into that squad ethic, that team ethic. And it just seems sometimes with Chuba Akpom, he trusts his skill, which is important, obviously, to make it as a top professional. But maybe he trusts it too much and has been too confident in being able to to do things on his own. Because when you watch some of the footage from from the under-21s, 
he's often doing things on his own, individual pieces of skill that are really brilliant. But, you know, we, we even see with someone like Alexis, who's magnificent, how much more effective he is when he integrates, you know, into the team ethic and releases the ball a little quicker and is involving his teammates. For someone like Chuba Akpom not to do that, that's that's not going to be good enough. So, you know, it's not yeah. that I don't think I, he's talented. I think we see, yeah, I think that's right. I think we see with Akpom lots of cockiness, but I don't know if it's true confidence because a confident player at that age would realize he didn't need to score a goal to do well. And I think Akpom desperately, desperately wanted a goal at all costs, and that's all he could see. And if he just, you know, he will be got, had a goal and apart from a little matter of offside could have had another one, another butte a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes later because he was integrated into the team. He was much more confident. And if you ever watch the, uh, the little interviews they do on the, the player, uh, you know, the, they both have their little session where they walk around the under-21s or the under-18s or whatever it is. And you can see Iwobi's just got a, a presence and a confidence about him. You know, those interviews would tell you what their performances on the pitch was going to be like over this last few games. So uh, it, it's interesting what you can sp- spot in. In hindsight, I think Iwobi has a, a future. I don't know if he really has enough game. I mean, he's very good, but man, he's got a hell of a climb to get past the the players we have in our team for the foreseeable future. That's, that's the main knock against him. He He's good. He's very good. He's got the right kind of mind and mindset. I don't know if he has enough that's special about him, which brings you back to Jeff, who I think is the real deal. He, he certainly looked at I mean, the, the problem you run into for, you know, let's say you're Zalalem or Crowley. Are you going to get past Mesut Ozil, Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshire, Santi Cazorla? N- no. And certainly with respect to like Ramsey and Wilshire, in theory, that could be several years. The question is, much like you see at places like Manchester City and Manchester United and Chelsea, as you buy more talented players and as you bring in players with big price tags and big talent, your youth players have a harder path to ever make it in the first team. And that's sort of an unfortunate side effect because... Zelen- and I think that's the problem that Zellalem and that Crowley have. And Crowley yeah. has Jack ahead of him. You, you know, why do you need... Uh, you know, uh, I can... You can imagine the argument somebody out there is going to pick with this, but you have, have Jack. You're not in desperate need of Crowley. We've got loads of playmakers. Uh, Zellalem, you got Ozil. Uh, they're really not the same, entirely the same kind of player. But you have players who can who can do the kinds of things. Here's what uh, Jeff's runny marmalade can do for you that those other guys can't. He's got that physique already at 17, younger than the other two. He's nearly there. I mean, he was bullying, pushing. We all saw on the on the touchline two or three occasions where he pushed some guy, he pulled a jersey, he kind of knocked some guy around, he rode the tackles in midfield. But, I mean, his stride through midfield was, that, that's why we're all thinking, ooh, Pogba, ooh, Diaby, ooh, uh, you know, Vieira. Because he covered that ground from one end to the other in the blink of an eye, you know, hurdling tackles, coming out with the ball when he never should have, like Vieira. Um, but but I thought so, the manager yeah. made a really important point about Jeffrey and Adelaide is that he said physically he's he's nearly there and he has the skill and the talent, but he said sometimes he has the game of a 17-year-old, and he definitely wanted to do it on his own too. I think you know Arsene Wenger is much quicker to integrate and give a chance to a player who's going to distribute quickly, take a touch and move the ball and move the ball and, and not want to stay on the ball longer. 
um, you know, as much as players like Alexis Sanchez are special, the manager hasn't had a history of utilizing a lot of players like that. Um, I think he wants his players to move the ball quickly, see teammates, see passing lanes. And uh, the, the pass he made to, to Walcott was excellent, and that move was brilliant. But we did see a lot of areas where he wanted a third touch, a fourth touch, a fifth touch. I think that's a, a an approach to the game that's going to keep you out of an Arsene Wenger side longer as a developing talent than someone who shows the ability to distribute quickly and find find a teammate quickly. Here's what I would say, though. Um, he has the physical attributes to end up on our on the pitch at for some minutes during the season if there's a run of injuries which leaves us light of players who can provide some physicality in midfield. Fair I'm enough. not saying he'll be playing for our first team, but that's the difference between him and almost any other other players. Yeah, Hayden provides that, but this guy's got so much more game that you can have him on the bench and play him in three or four or five positions. Um, that we- what wasn't? Wasn't the guy Fortune supposed to be? You've had a run on injuries, and hopefully we won't have that. But we don't have any big midfielders. He's it. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Yassine Fortune, the striker, yeah. Wasn't yeah. he supposed to be the better of the two? <laughs> Where's he? He's a year younger. Well. Yeah. I thought he was the hyped-up talent when we got the two of them. Am I wrong about that? I think, I think the issue was we got him first. I know they came together, but he arrived first. And so he was talked about first. I was reading through the interviews and, yeah, you can read it that way. Uh, or maybe you can read it that the other guy arrived first. But, man, this guy. He definitely I know, I know looks we exciting. Should... I, you know, I don't think there's any, any, anything wrong with getting a little carried away and loving what you saw. I think realistically, given the squad depth that we have, we probably won't see him at all for the first team. And if we do, it'll only be in the Capital One Cup. Let's um let's get to some squad battles, position battles real quickly, and then I want to talk transfer rumors so that the six people left listening to this, bearing with my microphone <laughs> issues and sound quality problems, will still listen. I have no idea, by the way. I might be recording this where you can barely hear me. I might be too loud. It might be echoey. It might I might be recording it in lovely. French. You I have no lovely. idea. So I'm very insecure about the noise, the sound issue right now. But among other things, by the way. Um all right, so James, I'm gonna give you a position. And each time I give you that position, I want you to tell me who you think is is going to start the season at that position. And in this little um, exercise, I want to presume that Alexis is not back yet, okay? Because obviously we know Alexis is a first-choice player when he's back. So let's start at the back. Goalkeepers obviously check. Who do you think starts right back? Mm. Um... The fullbacks is a really tough one for me. Um, I'd like to think Bellerin and Monreal, given how they ended last season. Um, but then again... What's your gut tell you? What do you think the manager's going to do? I think the manager really wants to play Debussy at right back. And perhaps he believes that the best sort of dynamic between those two right back... But to, to fit Debussy in at right back, he feels the need to play Gibbs, who is, you know... But basic quality is at a very similar level to that of Nacho. So, and given what's been, you know, given the lineups we're seeing in preseason, I think it might be Debussy and Gibbs. Okay, I mean, look, I think it'd be harsh on Bellerin if Debussy got that job, but I could see it based on the argument simply that Bellerin has plenty of time. Debussy's getting older. The manager feels he owes him something for coming to Arsenal and trusts his. No, his... I think that's. Uh, so I, I don't think the manager 
cares less about owing players anything. I just think Debussy is perceived as the more experienced Experi- player. No, well, I was getting to that, and I think given that he has the experience and the physicality that maybe Bellerin doesn't have yet, he looks at it as, I'll go with Debussy and give Bellerin a little bit of a break to continue his development. But what I cannot fathom is why... Uh, Gibbs would be chosen ahead of Nacho Monreal. There is nothing I've seen on the pitch over two seasons that indicates that Nacho isn't not just better, but significantly better than Gibbs. And that includes what we saw at the preseason. I mean, how do you justify using Gibbs over Nacho Monreal, who was one of our best players last season, full stop? Well, I'll tell you this. I think, A, it wasn't too long ago, you know, before Nacho played that centre-back role and then became like the, the set left back where we were all saying that it was really just a, you know, a coin toss between the two players. Um, Gibbs has been a player over the seasons that has been stinted by injuries and has, has really had that sort of lack of consistent games. And Nacho talked a lot about it in the interviews, if you listen, um, when he talks with the Arsenal player about how you know, it wasn't really the him moving a centre-back that was the big difference. It was just the fact that he was able to to play week in, week out. And he talked a lot about how important it was to him to be able to build that consistency, and um, which allowed his development to progress as quickly as it did. Um, so I'm not actually as convinced that there's necessarily as big a difference between the two. Um, but I do think the major reason would be that Wenger, Wenger likes to have one more sort of marauding fullback in, that's quick and attacking in, in the form of Kieran Gibbs, um, you know, who, who started his career as, as as a left winger, and with the sort of more conservative defensive fullback in that of Debussy, whereas Bellerin and Gibbs together, you know, are, are quite similar. Nacho and, and Debussy quite similar, but on opposite sides of the field. Uh, so that might be might, might play into the manager's thinking. I think if he did start Gibbs, it, it might be a um, it might just rep, be representative of of Arsenal's faith in both um, Nacho and Gibbs. And I, like I said, I'm really between the four of them, I think. There's fantastic depth, and, and come what may, I think throughout the course of the season, um, all four players will get plenty of minutes. I think the the one of the four that is clearly not good enough for Arsenal is Gibbs. I hate to say it. I, I don't think I don't think he's wow. going to make it. I, right. I don't rate him. I mean, I, I think he... I, I, first of all, I don't know that I even agree to th- that he is a more naturally attacking fullback or better at attacking. I just think he gets that reputation because he's worse at defending. Um, no, I think we can agree to disagree there. But well, I, mean, I, I mean, one of our best goals scored last season was Nacho Monreal in a big game. Nice side foot past the keeper. When was the last time you saw Gibbs, you know, overlap the winger, collect a pass and comfortably side foot past the keeper in any game, let alone a big game? I, I mean, where where is Gibbs' supposed attacking prowess coming from? What 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 have we seen of him that gives us that belief other than that he's quick? Well, because he, I mean, he's he's so regularly overlaps quite wide um, the left wing forward. To what effect? Next, but quite effectively, <laughs> the number of assists he racks up isn't isn't that insignificant. And listen, when we talk about the idea of like a conservative fullback in Monreal and Debussy, that doesn't mean they don't go forward. They still go forward plenty, especially in this system that Arsenal set up. And and as you said, I mean, I think Nacho's attacking qualities definitely improved over the season. I don't, I actually don't think he's a he's a bad attacking fullback at all. I just think, especially, I think. In, especially with the way in which Alexis likes to cut in, for example, um, Alexis sometimes thrives a lot when because Gibbs has the tendency to always come in on the outside, um, and I think that opens up space too. And listen, I, I think there are plenty of qualities to 
to both players, and I, I actually think you're doing a slight disservice to Adam Gibbs, and I think that's partly down to the, to the lack of minutes he received on the latter during the latter part of last season, um, and so you know I think just because we haven't really seen him over a consistent period of time that recently, um, perhaps we're forgetting some of the qualities that he does possess. I, I, I still personally rate him quite highly as a, as a left back, so I'm, I, I, I would be pretty confident with him um, starting, and if. If it does come to the fact that we, you know, he, he's somewhat of a liability, then you know, Nacho is obviously the easy and like a, a, a fantastic player to bring in. But that being said, you know, Nacho could quite easily start as is. But okay, I mean, okay, just, Paul, jump yeah. in, pile on me. Where, where do I have this wrong? First of all, is that is well, is it le- going to be Debussy? Let me tell you where you ha- let me tell you where I think you have it right, which is um, I never quite get this. Gibbs is the more, much more attacking. I, I do think he's the sprintier wingery. You know, he's an yeah, ex-winger, okay. so he has a bit of that about him. But, you know, I can, off the top of my head, I can think of time and time again where Nacho has overlapped, like on the Sanchez goal in the FA Cup final. It was him who tears up the left wing. He did that a couple of times. And it, it was him who tore up the left wing for Theo's goal. So, you know, there's there's the first two goals in the FA Cup final. So, I will fully agree with you that there's not much in it and a very strong case to be made from last season than Natch can hold his own from an attacking standpoint. He's been great. I just don't buy into the Gibbs is nowhere near, you know, is is that far behind that it's questionable whether he's Arsenal material. And we won't be able to resolve it today, but uh, let's just say that's my vote. I think... I think he's a real talent. I think the competition with Nacho will be absolutely brilliant for him. Mm-hmm. I think Nacho's come on a big step. But I could also point out that my big issue with Nacho along the way was he used to get mugged once a game from behind, over his shoulder, from behind, or some guy running rings around him, where he just got absolutely decimated once a game. And he's cut a lot of that out since playing at centre-back. He doesn't seem to think it has made a huge difference to his game, but I think it's physicaled him up a bit where he's... But, you know, he still got mugged a couple of times on the on the far post uh, towards the end of the season. Now, you can put that down to a few things. So we have some issues at uh, left-back. I think it's pretty close, but for me, Nacho has done nothing to not warrant starting, and I don't quite buy into the, if you have Debushi, who I also think... Is uh, I do think Arson feels he owes something to players because you do owe things to players. And I think he think he owes things to Debushi, and I think he'll get Debushi as a starter for the start of the year. But it's it, that's going to be a really tough one. He, he's not going to want to. Uh, he's not going to want Bellerin to cool off. I think that's one of his problem positions where he's going to have to find some time to share. Um, you know, even in the Chelsea game, Bellerin did superb against Hazard the last time out, kept him completely quiet. So, you know, I would have said, oh, Debushi is the right guy to match up against Hazard. But Bellerin did great against him in the, the last Chelsea game. That was one of our our strengths. So he's got some, uh, I don't buy into the Debushi means it's got to be Gibbs. I, I think Nacho will do great. And I think he's our starter. My main difference is, I think, Gibbs is close behind, maybe had a little bit of issue with form last year, but then he was injured and wasn't playing that much. So that would be my summation on the fullbacks. Okay, 
let's move off fullbacks real quick. I, I still want to get to transfer yeah. rumors, and I, I want to wrap up. But as far as middle, middle of the park, James, pick the three that you think will start in midfield um, uh, for the start of the Premier League season. Cochrane, Cazorla, Ozil. Cochrane, Cazorla, Ozil. Okay, any... Anything you saw this weekend or in preseason that leads you to believe that maybe situationally the manager will try to go Ramsey, Cazorla, Ozil and leave Coughlin yeah, out? I do, actually. And before preseason, um, it was something I thought um, might be tried out. Um, but that being said, I think it would only be the kind of home games against, say, like the bottom seven or so teams in the league. Um, so I don't think it's something that we'd necessarily see too often, but because uh, it does leave us exposed in that midfield area. Um, does, does it, is it changed for you by the fact that we're stylistically, I think we're trying to press a little bit more and take the initiative without the ball a little bit more and that we're, that's the way we're going to play when we don't use Coughlin is to, to press, recover the ball quickly and turn that into, into quick transition? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly think so. Um, I think it's something that we, we seek to um, have as part of our playing style when Cochrane's in, in the team too. Um, perhaps it's uh, a strategy that against the teams that like to sit very deep um, allows us to perhaps have the, the, a, a box-to-box midfielder in, in that of Ramsey and a, cause a creative type player because all is, is so fantastic at, at retaining balls and retaining the ball in extremely tight situations um, a little deeper um, than we had been used to seeing him prior to last season. Um, but listen, I think you know Cochrane's obviously a massive um, player for this team now, and I think it's only in those very unique um, game types where we, for example, you know we remember the Sunderland nil nil and the Swansea uh, loss towards the end of last season. You you might say that perhaps an, an added creative player in that mix might have um, changed the complexion of, of, of those games because we, we dominated possession for such a long period of time but weren't able to fashion out enough good chances throughout the course of the 90 minutes um, and perhaps a, a player like Co- the kind of qualities that a Cochran brought brings to the side became a, a, a little redundant at, at certain parts of the game um, but yeah, I, 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 will, I will just tell you obviously that I have concerns about Cochran being a quote massive part of the squad at this point I it's a lot to say about a player very quickly after being on the brink of not being in the in the team at all or at the club at all, um, and it, it it still worries me a little bit. I, I think if you watch the Spurs game at, at White Hart Lane from last season, you see sort of the the archetypal example of how his inclusion in the squad can create problems for us if you press Cazorla. And so I, you know, look, I, I hope he goes from strength to strength, so to speak, and that his on-the-ball and in-possession performances continue to look more like they did against Aston Villa than they did in that Spurs game. But does it worry you at all to make the statement about Francis Coughlin, who was on the brink of not being at the club six months later, eight months later, to say he's now a massive part of this squad? Um, I think in principle it does worry me slightly in that you know it is, like you say, a, a small time frame. Um, but I think you could pick out any top player over the course of a season and pick out one game where, uh, on the on the given day, where you know a team wasn't quite at the races and the the opposition played sort of executed their strategy um, extremely well and we looked un- uncomfortable, especially in the middle of the park. Um, but I mean, if you analyze the you know 
separate each separate performance throughout the course of the season, um, and you look at it in a vacuum. And if you know if, if we did hypothetically look at Kokan as a player that had been brought in as a big money signing um, in the January transfer window, I think. I think a lot of people would have a, a lot more confidence in, in Francis. Which right, I think... of course they would, because presumably we would have bought him off the back of really impressing somewhere else, as opposed to integrating him off the back of several failed loan spells. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I get that, no, that, that I, the I, manager I, I, has tried to sell that story to us, that if he was if we had bought him for $30 million, people would look at him differently, but you're buying someone for $30 million presumably because they've really impressed and to be fair, Francis Coughlin hadn't impressed anywhere at any at any time. Um, and by the sure. way, I'm not trying to say I don't think he can get the job done, but he is a specialist holding midfielder whose skill set is limited to a particular type of play. And I just wonder if that is a type of player that we can carry in the midfield the way we want to play. Um, can well, can well, I well, can well, I add well, a little bit here? Because one of the things yeah, sure. we talked about was uh, having you know, the games where we drop Coquelin out and suddenly we've got an extra player maker in there. But that didn't work against Sunderland. Um, in fact, in some ways, I think we lose a little bit without Coquelin. And the pressing game, you want a Coquelin in your midfield if you're pressing all over the field because he's that next line. So I think he gives us a lot. And one of the things I was watching for this pre-season probably the performance or the player of all that I was watching with the most concern over was Coquelin in case what had happened in the last six months was, you know, a rush of adrenaline, a kind of, oh, thank God I'm alive kind of thing. Well, now here he is, feet under the table, everybody raving about him, preseason, so it's kind of feel-good friendlies. He's tearing it up like he always did. So, yes, one always has a little reservation before one gets too carried away, but... You know, if you're concerned about the hype with Adelaide, I mean, my God, Coquelin's done a hell of a lot to prove that he can swing with the big boys. He's still doing it. Um, uh, you know, I think he's a real force. And I agree with the, the lead-in question, which is, do I think Arson will be looking for an opportunity to play, you know, some other combination, Kazorla and Ramsey? Yes, I do. I think he's going to find it really hard because I think every time he does it, He's going to find that he's missing that thing that Coquelin brings, that pop that he brings to that midfield that none of the other guys do. So um, I think he's the real deal. And he needs to apologize to nobody at this stage. I think he's proved himself. Yes, you'll, we'll always, for another, till he does it for a full season, we'll always kind of be crossing our fingers. Everything we've seen is, is what we think. But, you know. Uh, I don't know how you take it away from him at this stage. He's he's proved enough, and uh, I don't know I'm feeling pretty good about him. Yeah, right. listen, uh, we can we can only judge him really on the performances that we've seen of him playing for the football club in in the kind of setup that we um, that we seek to implement throughout the course of um, you know the, the future setup at, at Arsenal. And I think um, you know. You can look at plenty of players that have a, a history of several years of, of having played at the top level. Look at a Di Maria, but then coming into a new setup, um, new environment, and uh, and struggling significantly. And I think you know on the other side of that, you know there there is still a risk associated with with only having seen him perform throughout a six month period. But with that comes also the potential of, of there being more upside with him. He's you know still a player getting to know 
um, the teams still getting to know that position and getting to know the league and um, having already dealt with it as well as he, he has done, there, I think there's more indications to suggest that he might have he might go on to have an even better season next um, next year than he did last. And so. I don't dismiss that. I, I, w- I want to clarify something. I think there's every chance that Cochran could improve, could be even better this season than he was last season, could be the absolute solution at that position, and actually his technical side of the game may improve as he feels more comfortable there, and, and that may lead to him you know, not being as much of a specialist holding midfielder and, and more integrated into our passing game. It's just a question of, will the manager see it that way? Will the manager want to have the added flexibility of using Ramsey and Cazorla deep in central midfield? And I have to admit, I am one who is concerned about a player that the manager didn't see a future for at the club, didn't impress on his loan spells, coming in and having such an impact. And it, it was a season-changing impact, it's it's a lot to gamble on on a relatively small window of first-team experience. So, you know, hopefully long may it continue. But, I, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get a, a central midfielder in this transfer window, and that means that the job is his. Uh, with Mikel Arteta, if he's fit enough and up to it backing him up, Flamini's gone, that means the other alternative beyond that is either using Ramsey there or Wilshire there along with Cazorla or handing the reins over to someone like an Isaac Hayden, which I absolutely don't see happening. So l- let's move up the pitch real quick and finish off the the sort of uh, squad issue with forwards. Paul, what do you think uh, is going to happen at the forwards? Do you think it'll be Ramsey, Giroud, and Walcott to start the season, or do you see something different? Uh, yes. And the only other, I, I think the Two likely options, given you've ruled Alexis out. May I remind the viewers yes. and myself, listeners? listeners um, uh, you know, Ox has made a really strong push. And, you know, we know what extra he brings over Walcott. And Walcott, we've had that debate. So that that's that's the – there's my hesitation. I'm a big Walcott fan, but I'm a big Oxlade-Chamberlain fan too. So I think that's the three, but – uh, you know, Ox is really nipping at their heels. The, a couple of those performances he's had, that goal was a beaut. Um, so I think he'll be the guy coming on at 70 minutes uh, as a sub. Um, Ramsey, I, you know, has to get on the field. Uh, I think it's really tough for the manager not to be picking him for pretty much every game. So, And it's going to hurt that Ramsey... Ramsey's not in the center, so I think he's going to get one of the wing positions typically. So, yeah. yeah. What about you, James? I mean, is that how you see it for – forget the charity shield because, I, you know, I don't know if he'll continue to try to experiment mm-hmm. there. But what do you see for opening day of the Premier League season? Yeah, I mean, following what I said regarding the central midfield options, I think Ramsey's definitely going to start out on the right, assuming um, that midfield pans out as I suggested. Um, and then I think Giroud takes a central spot to begin with, and the big debate is just who starts out on the left between Alex and Walcott, and we've seen Theo starting a lot on the left throughout this preseason, and again, I, I do agree with what Paul said. I think he might get the nod, but that for me is the biggest sort of 50-50. I, I really you wouldn't be surprised if, if Arsene decides that um, he's going to give Alex a shot, um, even if it's out on the left. But perhaps, you know, especially given Alex's type of dribbling style, maybe um, his ability to cut inside isn't as um, strong as, as someone who can 
uh, make those runs in behind, such as Theo, um, especially given the point that I agreed very much so with, with Paul on um, how heavy his first touch tends to be and his propensity to go out wide. And he doesn't, his le- he's not as keen to use his left foot as he is his right. So um, until I think Alex's chance will, prob- will most likely come once a central midfield berth opens up for Aaron Ramsey. Um, and then I think he'll probably be first choice out on the right. I have the very, Sad. very weird feeling, and this is purely gut, that Oxlade-Chamberlain is further from being a starter than most people think. I I just don't think the manager has the faith in him that a lot of people do. Um, I think he's still pretty raw. His first choice is still to try to beat a guy off the dribble. Um, he does give the ball away. I don't know. I, I love... Oxley chamberlain as a talent and, and as a player that I think can still come good and, and maybe he stays fit and this is a breakout season for him, but I weirdly think he's further away from the first team, fr- from starting for the first team regularly than a lot of people think so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. So here's, here's a kind of a trick question real quick for you. That's who you think will start up front for the first game of the season. Who will start, what will be our starting front three on, let's say, October 1st? Uh, James. <laughs> I don't know. I, at that point, I'm, I'm sure injuries will play. Uh, no, no. In, assume full fitness because that that's probably going to happen. So, who do, who do you see being the starting um, front three in October? Major hypotheticals going into play right now. Okay, um, Alexis, Giroud, and, and Ramsey. I, I, maybe Alexis Walker and Ramsey, but. I mean, it'll, it'll be one of those three, I guess, if everyone was fit. Yeah, I mean, and and now you can kind of see why the manager might want to try to shoehorn a ramsey Cazorla central midfield pairing in there because it allows him to play as more natural wide forwards, right? And then he could go with Alexis Giroud and Walcott or Alexis Walcott and Oxley chamberlain or Alexis Walcott and Welbeck or Welbeck. I mean, you have the, that variety because if he is using Ramsey wide and Coughlin is the, the holding midfielder, suddenly between... You know, whether it's Walcott or Giroud, let's say it's Giroud, suddenly between Walcott, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Danny Welbeck, none of them have a place in the squad. Right, but I mean, as, as we know, in, injuries do tend to play a pretty significant role, especially nope. when no. related to last No, nope. shad effect, it's done. No more injuries. <laughs> um, all right, let's finish off really, really quickly because we've run long, which is no surprise. And I have to apologize. I am in just the most dreadful preseason form. The microphone thing has me totally thrown off. I, I'm really struggling. So thanks for bearing with me, both of you, and anyone who's still for some reason unbeknownst to me, listening to this podcast. Um, uh, let's talk transfers just really quickly. First, simple yes or no. James, do you think we'll get a central midfielder? No. Paul? No. Okay, I agree. And we're not even going to dignify the Busquets rumors with a discussion because it's just absolutely ludicrous. It's no. not happening. Um, so that leaves Stryker. I'll ask you a simple question, James. Are we getting a forward? And is it Karim Benzema? Yes and yes. Paul? Yes and yes, only because I think we're definitely chasing a forward and he's the most likely name, but I don't know if that puts just puts it above the 50% mark. And also, I just don't think there's really many other, if any other player that's at the level we require and that is anywhere close to being available other than the rumors surfacing and surrounding that of the Korean. So. No, uh... No chance of Marco Royce. Can't talk into Royce. Or Lewandowski. 
That see here nah. the problem with the Lewandowski rumors even more than Benzema. I can't imagine why Bayern would let Lewandowski go. Who's going to play striker for Bayern Munich? Oh, if they buy somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know, realistically, I think there are a lot of people starting to panic over transfers, and I, I would be right there with them if it weren't for the fact that you look at the clubs that haven't really made big moves yet, and you expect something to happen, right? I mean, Madrid are going to go for someone. City will probably... I know they spent big on Sterling, so so maybe they're done. Um I still think things could happen at, at Dortmund. I'd be surprised if both Aubameyang, Aubameyang and, and Royce stay there, um, given there's no Champions League, new manager. There's just a lot of dominoes that I think still can fall. Is Aguero going to move? Is De Gea going to move? Is Sergio Ramos going to move? Is Benzema going to move? Is Marco Royce going to move? I, all of these pieces that, that I think still could get shifted around a little bit. And so... To me, I don't think we have to panic yet. I still think the big moves are going to happen. And ultimately, obviously, I, I, I don't think we will buy just to buy. I don't think we're going to buy an $18 million forward from somewhere or a you know a $13 million midfielder. But I, I do think we will get a forward. I don't know if it's Benzema. Um, just actually really quickly and, and really, really quickly, does Benzema improve us? I mean, I know you guys both rate Giroud pretty highly. James, you do in particular. Um, is Benzema... He, style-wise, too similar to what we have to necessarily make the difference, or is his step up in quality enough that that it really does improve us dramatically? Um, firstly, I, I do rate Giroud highly, but like, you know, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement. I think it's mostly I'm often counteracting just how how non-highly you rate Giroud. Um, but I think Benzema definitely upgrade, upgrades us, especially. I mean, the type of player he is, he's. He's got a bit of everything. The, the kind of t- touch play he has is, is fantastic. He, he's able to hold up the ball, bring others into plays. He, he's quick. He's, he's able to get in behind. His finishing is great. I think also he's a player that he's, un- he's in a setup now where he's surrounded by a Cristiano Ronaldo um, and Gareth Bale to a lesser extent, whereby he's very much the, the middle man that kind of contributes to that, that front three but isn't, isn't, isn't the, the fulcrum of of that forward line. And I think if he came into a setup like that of Arsenal, um, he'd really be able to fulfill um, the true talent that he possesses um, and would be a real attacking threat. And again, I, you know, that being said, I don't, I don't watch um, La Liga closely enough. I don't follow Real Madrid's football that well, but I did have a long discussion with a very close friend of mine um, while abroad, who's a big Madrid fan. And um, he, I mean, he said if, if there was one player, um, he would. He thought would would suit Arsenal's system the most. Um, outside of just like a, a player of such quality of that, a Cristiano's is is Kareem Benzema. And, I, um, and and so I think I think it would be a very, a very exciting signing, especially given the French connection. Um, I think there's a lot of promise between the kind of relationship that a, a Benzema and a Wenger could form. Um, but it's just something that we're going to have to wait and see on and. I think, especially in the striker department, now that the kind of you know top bracket players that we're looking to to acquire, I think um, that's where I would trust Arsenal the most in uh, in being able to make the the right decision in in that regard. Paul, I know you love Benzema, so your answer is much more simple. Yeah, he improves us dramatically. Correct. Yeah, what I'd add is he plays a lot of games and a lot of minutes every season, scores a lot of goals. Um, you know, he has a robustness. Giroud has that. Uh, we don't know if Walcott 
can well we know Walcott hasn't had that but you know th- this is a guy who can bang against other forwards has movement has pace but he stays on the pitch all season long uh through all kinds of conditions um scores goals uh, i think he brings uh w- he scored a screamer the other day um you know he's got skill but he's also got the basics around the box push and shove and getting the ball in the back of the net uh, he does the dirty work. He does the stylish stuff. But he'll play your 38 games for you and and 90 minutes of them, you know, two, three seasons in a row. That was a professional jinx job. Well done. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, look, I, I think e- even if you make incremental progress at striker, it's big progress. And that's the bell or the dog. We'll leave it there. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to this one as we try to work ourselves into – into shape for the season. We will come back with a podcast after the Charity Shield. Hopefully, our first of at least three victories over Chelsea uh, this season. So the only thing we ask is that you leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you find this podcast. Uh, Maybe not based on the quality of this particular pod, but on the pod generally, because I think generally it's a pretty good podcast. This one was was not. But you know what? That's fine, because they're not all going to be in the Podcasting Hall of Fame. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, but I recommend that you follow the two gentlemen who actually contributed to this podcast staying afloat. Number one, James. Uh, you can follow him at GoonerFanatic49. James, thanks so much. Farewell, good listeners. Yeah, farewell. Uh, hopefully not to me forever. And Paul is at Poznan in my pants. Uh, Paul, it is always a delight to speak to you. Thank you very much. I like this pod a lot more than you did. Yeah, I, I, but this was like the Giroud of pods to me. You know, no. no matter what anybody says about it, I, I no, just no, no. not going to get behind it. Ellie, you sounded fantastic. I don't Thank know what you. you're complaining about. Uh, yeah. It was great. It Compliments was great. will get you everywhere. So, all right. In the meantime, please do leave us a review. We will try to come back more directly after the Charity Shield this weekend. Um, I know uh, we've been a little erratic this summer and our plans haven't exactly fallen into place, but I have moved. Um, I have my new studio set up here um, and I'm going to have it all organized and ready and then Everything's going to be smooth sailing from here until the injuries start to hit. So until then, uh, enjoy the next couple of days. The games will start to come thick and fast. But thankfully, no Champions League qualifier this summer. So there's, there's that. Um, guys, it's great to talk to you. Don't forget to leave us a review. We'll talk to you after the Charity Shield. Cheers. <laughs>